0: Love, talk, radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner.
1: Hello everybody, this is Sandy and welcome to Last First Date Radio, the place to be for creating healthy, Lasting Relationships in Midlife, and today I'm really excited to speak with sex and relationship coach, blogger, best-selling author Jordan Gray about how to emotionally connect to men. This is a really important topic, and I love speaking to men because um, who better to hear this from than from a guy who actually is experiencing this, and I, I think this is a very misunderstood topic. So I'm actually bringing you this extra bonus session of podcast today uh, to bring Jordan here. And before I bring Jordan on, I just want to say that for the past 11 years, I have been a dating and relationship coach helping women over 40 enter into the best relationships of their lives. And often they fall in love for the first time at age 50, 60 and beyond. I have a client in her 70s, who really is in the best relationship of her life now. And the secret is that I help them rediscover their own value first. They develop the confidence and competence to improve their relationship with themselves first and then with the men in their lives. And I call this the Woman of Value Method. And as I grow and advance the Woman of Value Movement, I am supporting women at work to show up, stand up, and speak up, too. Valuing ourselves is simply not negotiable in life, love, and work. Every week I bring you a tip on how to be a woman of value, and this week's tip is learn to receive graciously. We are terrible at receiving, especially as women. Um, I'm I'm imagining that men are not so good at this either, but um, a lot of times we just don't accept when people want to give us whatever it is, whether it's a compliment or a physical gift. And learning to just say thank you and receive is actually a gift to somebody else. So I want to encourage you to remember this today. Learn to receive graciously. Um, And one more thing before I bring Jordan on is I have this amazing membership group going on right now. It's called the Woman of Value Club. And just go check it out. There's too much to say about it. It is a fabulous, fabulous group that meets monthly. And you can go to lastforstate.com and head on over to the group coaching tab, and that's where you find out all about it. All right. So Jordan Gray is here, and he is a number one best-selling author, blogger. He's a sex and relationship coach. And he has more than 10 years of practice behind him, which is hard to believe because he's only 31 years old. His work has been featured in the Huffington Post, the New York Times, Psychology Today, and lots of other great publications. And he has made it his life's mission to make thriving relationships attainable to everyone. Join me now for episode number 338 Jordan Gray on how to emotionally connect with men. Welcome, Jordan.
0: Sandy, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Excited to have you. I um, I have been following you for a while. I was just telling you before the show that we were both writers at the Good Men Project at the same time, and yeah. I was immediately drawn to your authenticity, your willingness to be vulnerable, to talk about things that other people might be thinking, but you have a really beautiful way of, of saying it. and um, so I, I want to thank you for doing this beautiful work that you do, first of all.
0: I appreciate that. And I would be remiss if I didn't comment on the wounded of Value program that you were talking about before. I got literal goosebumps three times as you were doing that intro because, yeah, that approach could not be more aligned with my value system of cultivating your relationship with yourself, first and foremost. And I just... Yeah, had good on all of your major points. I was like, yes, I'm talking to the right person. This is amazing.
1: <laughs> Yay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about you before we dive into the topic. And sure. I would love to hear what your backstory is. And before we do that, I just want to give a little warning that if anyone has children listening to this, we may end up cursing and talking about some sexual topics. So mm. just uh, a word of warning. This show has been rated as high as sexual as it could possibly be. for so Jordan, come let loose. Um, but yeah, tell us about your backstory. Like, how did you get into this field of love, sex, relationships?
0: Sure. So, not unlike most of the relationship coaches that I've crossed paths with in my life, I definitely have a fairly quintessential wounded healer path. I had a lot of pain. Uh, tied to the theme of relationships from a fairly young age. And so I found myself just obsessing over, you know, what makes a healthy relationship, not just intimate relationship, although I did, I was more interested in that than just general friendships and community building at the time. But, yeah, I would just devour anything, you know, self-help related on sex, intimacy, parenting, intimate relationships, marriage, From, you know, seven, eight, nine years old onwards, Uh, I'm not sure what the American equivalent is, but the major bookstore Mm -hmm. here is Chapters, maybe it's Barnes & Noble in in the States, Mm -hmm. and my bedroom had hundreds of books on the topic, yeah, while I was still in high school, and I just found myself so drawn to it, and the thing that really catalyzed me into considering it more seriously as a full-time career path was a pretty significant breakup around the age of 19, 20 years old. And I, at the time, I was in film school. I was studying to become a film director. I was really drawn to creative, you know, just different creative mediums in general. And I kind of had this you know, waking up moment where I realized that when I looked around my bedroom, there were zero books on you know, lighting and film and cinematography and over 300 books on sex and relationships, and I thought, well, apparently this is where my passion, passion actually lies, and uh, yeah, I found a company in my hometown of Vancouver, Canada that was doing the thing most similar to what I wanted to do in the world, and I basically just showed up every day for about four and a half months for free until they could afford to hire me on. I was with them for a couple of years, and then I started my website, my business, and coaching practice about six just over six years ago now. So yeah, definitely got started young, got started at 21 years old and, and almost 32. Haven't stopped since.
1: Wow. That's an amazing story. I mean, at eight years old, you were reading those books. That's incredible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Parenting books. Like
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, just, I found interpersonal <laughs> dynamics and people so fascinating.
1: Mm. Wow. Um yeah it's often when we get our heart broken though that we have it that it serves as a catalyst for good um hopefully mm-hmm. those, those wake up calls that we have that that are painful often lead to the most amazing um work that we do to help other people first help ourselves and then help others uh, Absolutely like yeah
0: Grief is a portal, whether it's the grief of a relationship with someone that you split from romantically or grief from someone passing away. It's a very potent leveraged opportunity to use if we're you know, awake to them.
1: Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, I want to talk about fears for a moment. And um, what... Oops, we have a silent <laughs> Oh,
0: closing that window. <laughs> talking about fear
1: yeah what when, when I learned in coaching school is the outside sounds definitely have to do with what's going on in the conversation perfect oh no it's fears <laughs> um, they're coming so, <laughs> what do you think or what have you seen in your practice are the top three fears that people have that keep them from having the most thriving relationships
0: I mean, there's definitely a a fair amount of self-selection bias at play because the type of people that are drawn to my work are people that are drawn to me. But, yeah, I would say the most consistent ones that I get are at the top of the list, I would say, uh, integrating and coming to love and accept the full range of the emotional spectrum. So most frequently for my male clients, that's more integrating things like sadness or grief or tenderness. And with my female clients, you know, sadness can be a theme, but more often than not, it's anger that, you know, I think men are more from a young age conditioned to, uh, to fear their sadness or to think that, you know, crying or grieving is, is weak or, you know, there's something inherently bad about it as if one plot point on the emotional spectrum is wrong and the other ones are okay, or at least, you know, close to acceptable. Where, yeah, women are more socialized to be highly agreeable and, you know, don't be a bitch and your anger is wrong and, you know, if you're too powerful, you might confront a man's ego, all this noise that, you know, there's just kind of r- remainder of these societal constructs that hold no real basis in reality. So, yeah, mm-hmm. coming to accept the full range of the emotional spectrum, which as always starts with internal work and then is cultivated in the external world, in our relationships. The second fear, uh, I get a lot of people coming to me with varying iterations of uh, sexual dysfunction. So whether that's inability to orgasm or you know, for men or women, um, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation in men. Um, yeah, again, these things that, that often are stemming from uh, from fear or some kind of micro iteration of self rejection that just quickly downward spirals and people get more in their heads and less connected to their bodies, and they fear that you know this this thing, this sexual secret that I have is somehow inherently unlovable, and I need to keep it away from people, so it 's kind of this anti vulnerability that that keeps us separate and then the third fear in terms of frequency, I would say and this is maybe more from the female side of my client base is this fear or this belief that is often hid behind of there are no good ones left. You know, what if all the quality partners have all been snatched up and I've missed the boat. And, and, you know, I got clients telling me this in their twenties and their sixties, you know, the whole, it's not, it's not merely an age specific thing. It's just a convenient excuse to hide behind of, well, if there's, no one out there who I could possibly be compatible with, then I don't need to do my work. I can just, you know, kick up my heels, go back to sleep and not really lean through my growth edges in a healing way because there's no, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow anyways.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, people have lost hope. I mean, I was in that position at 28 and got married Mm -hmm. to the wrong person for that reason and stayed for 23 Mm -hmm. years. So, yeah, that's a lot of time spent um, really not being who I needed to be in life. So I, I totally get it, and I hear mm-hmm. it, I hear the same thing all the time. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of fear in this relationship industry and um, helping them. So um, are we getting a little echo? What is that? Getting a little feedback um, for a second.
0: I don't hear it on my side.
1: Okay. All right. I think it's good now. Um, We could go through the whole process of how you work through this, but I I really want to talk specifically about men. And
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, how do you coach them to work through some of these difficult emotions?
0: Definitely. So the first kind of overarching model that I tend to lay out for guys who are looking to, you know, accept, love, reintegrate their relationship to these emotions is that I tell them that you know, it does start with their internal relationship to the thing. You know, this, uh, you know, this can wreak havoc in men's emotions to their sex life, to their emotions. There is this sense of or, or this fear of, well, you know, why, why come to accept my sadness or why, why let go of the idea that sex is a performance if I believe deeply in my bones that You know, all women will reject my sadness or all women do expect that sex is performance. Again, they're holding on to these things that are often just, you know, projections, but also based in reality on their past experiences of, well, because my relationship to this part of me has been this way, I have therefore understandably attracted partners that, you know, agreed and reflected back to me my own beliefs. And so I tell them, you know, it's not your job to get yourself from 0% belief to 100% belief because you know, if these uh, if, if these emotional wounds are born in relationship, which they generally are, they have to be healed in relationship. So I tell them that, you know, maybe the first 30% of the work is purely it's internal. It's their relationship to that thing, and what that often looks like is just being willing to soften their own position of, well, you know what, I kind of do think that, you know, I do judge men as weak when they cry, or I do judge myself or make this thing wrong. Um, and that, you know, if we're not willing to individually soften that position and let go of it, then, you know, good luck finding someone who is going to reflect that newer, healthier, more integrated belief back to you. It does start internally. And so that is just, you know, putting a, a sliver of doubt in your mind and going, okay, you know what, I don't have to believe this 100%. I don't have to believe it all the way, but I am willing to accept that. Maybe my way, you know, the thing I've been holding on to for years or decades, isn't totally accurate. And maybe there are at least some women that could accept my sadness or my grief, or again, some of these softer, more tender emotions. So it starts with that, and then, similar to really integrating any growth edge in our life, we have to at some point uh, stop, you know, the mental masturbation and thinking about it endlessly and journaling endlessly and deploy the courage it requires to put those things out there, you know, attempt to have those things be received by other people, and then see how they respond. You know, okay, maybe I'll show 10% of my sadness to a guy friend or to a female friend or to a, to a partner, and if my worst case scenario, my biggest fear, is that they're going to ultimately reject me around this thing in a way that I've been rejecting myself or that you know, people from my past parents, siblings, you know, exes uh, shamed me or made me wrong in a similar way, if that's the worst case scenario, am I willing to put this thing out there and see if I'm wrong about that? You know, maybe they will receive it as a total gift and will love me more and see this as, you know, one of the highlights of our relationship, which then just drives that wedge of doubt, you know, even further. And you go, okay, well, maybe not, you know, maybe it's not the case that no one can accept this maybe there are some safe loving non-shaming people and i just have to put in more work to meet more of them and with time and integration and you know, the more people we let in and trust and no not necessarily immediately trust is earned and we don't uh, just inherently owe these more tender gifts to everyone we cross paths with it's like you know not your starbucks barista but with time you know the evidence that we gather around getting that positive feedback of, okay, this is lovable, this is acceptable. And you get to a point where your confidence in that is, you know, 80%, 90%, 100%. So that even when you do uh, meet someone in the future who is still kind of retroactively stuck in that uh, self-rejecting place to that thing that you once integrated, you know, they'll more seem like an anomaly. They won't seem like the default that you're always looking over your shoulder to avoid.
1: Mm like that. Anything else that you want to add to that?
0: Well, I say that's a, a pretty good roadmap. If yeah, just yeah. if like a 45-year-old male is trying to go from, you know, which, which is especially I think even more uh, typical of you know boomer generation and beyond, where I think there has been a lot of society-wide integration of male emotionality. There's obviously still progress to be made, just like. You know, women are more sexually empowered every decade, and there are still major steps to, to be done. But, yeah, I think that's a good, you know, zero to 60 roadmap for someone who's just or starting to step into that process.
1: Mm, great. Thank you. Um, so there's a lot of talk about nice guys finishing last yep. and, and uh, all that stuff and mm. I always say it's not that nice guys finish last, it's that nice guys who are wimps and doormats finish last but <laughs> nice guys yep. who are good people, who are actually have, have an edge to them who are interesting, sexy can be amazing um, so how, how would you how do you respond to, to the nice guys finish last statement? <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, pretty much identically to what you just said. That you know, <laughs> having a spine or not is a much bigger factor than someone having the capacity to be kind and to genuinely be nice. Uh, you know, the nice guy phenomenon. Uh, you know, No the Nice Guy. The book by Dr. Robert Glover really sums it up well. Th- this concept that you know, if you say you're a nice guy, but really you're you know a passive manipulative liar. That's not very nice. That's not a nice way to be mm-hmm. as a person. If, you know, you're the furthest thing from authentic, you're just kind of adding all these niceness points into the emotional bank accounts of other people to manipulate their perception of you. That, that's, that's kind of the furthest thing from nice. So, yeah, nice guy finish last can be quite accurate for people that fit the, you know, quote unquote, nice guy terminology. But yeah, if someone has, an edge, someone has a spine, someone has boundaries, they're they're actually able to be assertive and say no when they mean no, you know, that's actually, you know, a, a strong, grounded, centered man, uh, which, you know, nice is also one of the parts of him that he has access to, but he's not nice, like a passive liar. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that passive nice is, is bullshit. It's,
0: uh, yeah, I, you, you uh, can't trust and I it. I see
1: that. I see it in women, too, because women were, as you said before, they were conditioned to be kind above, you know, everything, like just be kind to everybody. And they often become doormats. They're angry. They're holding in so much aggression and anger. Um,
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, one last thing I wanted to to say about that is,
0: you know, for me, one of the kind of overarching antidotes to that is just being total, you know, being total or being all the way honest uh, yeah someone who is a doormat someone who is spineless someone who acquiesces to every whim that's a very difficult person to trust because you can't trust their yes or their no and so you never really know are they just acquiescing are they playing along or do they actually mean what they're saying to me and that's you know pretty close to impossible to being in a relationship with long term that can function to any real degree
1: uh-huh Really true. Yeah, I'd much rather somebody be honest and tell me the truth. You know, honest feedback, kind feedback is so much better than somebody holding everything in. Definitely. Uh, Yeah, it's something I I practice also in my Toastmasters group because we have to give feedback to to Mm. the speakers. Mm-hmm. And to do it with kindness and to also like a lot of people just go oh you're amazing. Oh my god, you're amazing. <laughs> it's like that is not yeah. helpful. Not <laughs> constructive. Like, how are you gonna grow? Right. You're yeah, incredible. Like I have nothing to say. Okay. So let's talk yeah. about um I know you're you're involved in, in men's groups and you're a big believer in men. Yes. Um yep. tell tell us why you love men's groups so much. Like what happens in these men's groups and why do you think they're so
0: important? Just got goosebumps again. You asked me that question. So yeah, I have a lot of energy (laughs) for, for men's groups and women's groups in general. I think that, you know, people spending safe container, dedicated, intentional time with their own gender or their own values group is so beautiful and healing and necessary for a world that, you know, levels of loneliness and self-reported isolation have ever been higher. And so if everyone's starving for connection in general, yeah, to me, it's, just, it, it's, a, it's a further upstream uh, healthy kind of healing balm that I think a lot of people need in general. Uh, to go more specifically into why I think men's groups, uh, you know, speaking from personal experience and experience of the guys in my group, uh, is massively beneficial you know, the male suicide rate is still very high. I mean, the international, the suicide rate for people, for humanity across the world is, you know, uh, definitely something close to my heart that I'd want to, that I am chipping away at with my life's work. But yeah, it's the kind of lone wolf mentality of thinking that we have to do life on our own and life is, you know, life is suffering, life is struggle, life is isolation and, you know, be all that you can be and everything's on your shoulders. Like there's so many of these societally imposed themes of heavy pressure that are, you know, essentially impossible to navigate on our own. And, you know, human beings, we're a social species. We aren't meant to not even thrive, but survive on our own. We do need other people. And, you know, sometimes... An American audience can hear that and go, oh, it doesn't that verge on codependency? Like, you shouldn't you not need people? But no, mm-hmm. that's you know, not the uh-huh. case at all. There's a, there's a huge gap between codependency and interdependency. And being a human being means that you have needs that you require other people to help support you in. And so you know, I've been in the same man's group for the last three years. Every Tuesday night for uh, 156 weeks now, it's, yeah, we we meet up for three hours and we just talk about absolutely anything that's on our mind. And over three years, you know, some of those moments have looked like uh, we've had two guys who came to meeting and told us that they found out they're going to be fathers for the first time. And now those two men are fathers and they have, you know, one year old and one half year old respectively. And, you know, seeing that process up close and personal and hearing their internal dialogue throughout each stage of the journey has been such a gift, not only for them to get that, get those things off of their chest and to be supported by 15 other men who cared deeply about them, but it's also instructive for, you know, the men that aren't fathers that get to hear about this process in real time. Uh, we've had men who were going through, you know, depression and bouts of suicidal ideation. We've had men who were, you know, they grew up with really angry fathers and so they'd repressed their own anger because they just, you know, kind of made this silent vow that I will never be like my dad and so I'll swallow every bit of anger that I ever have, which is actually quite a common through line of the quote-unquote nice guy is someone that is more emotionally allegiant to his mother in his mind than his own father. He was kind of in rejection to the father archetype inside of his own self. And yeah, just the the healing that I've seen from, you know, stuck or repressed or struggling You know, these lone wolf men who come in and week over week start to trust, you know, the 12 to 15 guys around them and cultivate relationships and let go of and erode this mindset of, oh, I'm just this lone wolf who has to do life on his own and watch them slowly learn human connection, essentially. It's just beautiful. And I think that, you know, these kinds of groups proliferating around the world, It's so easy for me to imagine them, you know, chipping away at the suicide rate, the divorce rate, spousal abuse, just so many of these things that, you know, if men don't feel like they have a safe container to off gas these, you know, pains or frustrations or secret thoughts that they don't think can go anywhere else, you know, having it be received by group and then having them be reminded that, oh, I'm not a crazy person. I'm just a human having a very human experience and, coming to trust these men myself by extension. Yeah. The depth of healing that's available in these rooms is just immense.
1: Mm, I can hear the passion and and how much you love it in your voice. It sounds incredible.
0: (sighs) Yeah, it's it's a lot. (laughs) And there's, there's a corresponding women's group community in my hometown in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, basically all of my closest female friends are also in that. And, you know, the, the theme's, aren't dissimilar, you know, we, in both groups and obviously for confidentiality reasons, we don't get super detailed accounts of what happens. But, you know, in men's groups and women's groups, we basically talk about our relationships, you know, personal, intimate relationships. We talk about our relationship to our career, to our work. We talk about our moods. We talk about, you know, relating to our families over the holidays. It's it's all the same stuff. There, There isn't a, you know, inherently massive gap between the two but you know there are there is a different kind of of space that's created when you are just with your own you know your own gender your own type your own value group where you can feel I can really let it all hang out here and it'll be received I don't have to you know live at it or hold back again I can be total be received still be lovable and move on with my life Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I couldn't agree with you more. I have, I have started so many communities. I have a, a, this Facebook group called Your Last First Date, and mm. we have about 2,800 women in there. And every day awesome. there are testimonies as to how their lives have changed through this group. They have learned to mm. be patient in relationships. They have learned to speak up and not be afraid to say what they need I mean, so many of the things that I stand for, and I, I have nine, eight monitors who help me with this group. Um, mm. We have such strict guidelines because it creates safety and boundaries, yep. Yep. and it's amazing. I mean, like, nobody's allowed to cross-talk and, um, you know, and, and man-bash and all the things that we, we don't even realize the words that we say and how it affects yep. how we see relationships. Um, like saying love is a battlefield, somebody said that the other day. And I said, you know, how about we reframe that? <laughs> What's another word you can use? And she goes, I was just kidding, LOL. I'm like, it's not funny. Not funny. Um, yeah. so,
0: it, it's not um, funny and it also doesn't serve that individual's process to see it as this dangerous yeah. thing where battle axes are swinging around their heads. Like It's just not accurate.
1: Yeah, and so that, that lack of consciousness. Also, where yeah. she couldn 't even hear it, she couldn 't take it in, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. so people come in at all different levels and i I throw people out if they don 't follow the rules but i I do think having both online communities and i I've, I've led many retreats where the bonding in person is amazing i I, I love it, I love it mm-hmm. um, so as as we close i just i want to know. Um, from you how you feel men have been misunderstood like for something that we want women to know because I think women often see men as they're not reading their minds, they're not emotionally available, they can't talk their feelings and they're looking for something that I think is not real but mm-hmm. I think there's so much misunderstanding so if you can just kind of give us the cliff the notes on how you feel Men are often misunderstood, and what women need to
0: know? Hm. Yeah, a few things pop up into mind immediately with that. I would say the first one is take him at his word. I think that, you know, Deborah Tannen, a uh, language um, specialist and therapist in like, Maryland and the States, talks about how, you know, men often speak. In message, and women often speak in meta-message that there can be more layers uh-huh. of meaning to the layers of communication when women speak versus, you know, when men are direct and honest. Which you know, if you're with anyone other than a you know a passive manipulative knife guy, which is generally most men uh, in my worldview, that uh-huh. just just believe him, trust that if he says that you know he prefers those shoes over those shoes, he means it. If he says, you look great, he means it. Just you know, don't don't chop away at the tree of his word too much because it's kind of a double-edged sword where there isn't that much of a win to be had in aggregate by engaging in that process. And if he feels like, you know, my woman doesn't trust me, that bleeds into the relationship for men to a pretty significant degree. And that was my kind of second major overarching point was that the more that we feel like you trust or respect us and again those things are both absolutely earned. I'm not saying, you know, trust and respect a man inherently that you've gone on a first date with just because he exists. You know, these things are cultivated <laughs> over time. But mm-hmm. you know, do leave some room in and again, I'm I'm also a huge fan of women testing their men. You should uh you know Keep him sharp, keep him honest, and make sure that he is congruent in his, you know, thoughts, words, and actions. Um, But, yeah, give him the benefit of the doubt more often than not. If he did something that doesn't make any sense to you, don't jump to the worst case scenario and assume that he's just a simple-minded Neanderthal, but that there was some process that went into it for him, and he's trying his best.
1: Mm, I like that, yeah. We we talk a lot about assumptions that uh, they are terrible. Um, always always get curious when there's an assumption in your mind. Yeah. So take a man at his word and trust him if he's earned the trust and he's and he's cultivated over time by giving the benefit of the doubt.
0: Exactly. I yeah. Love yeah it. Just make we... make generous assumptions.
1: Yeah. Um, we didn't even get dirty. Jordan. I think I have Sorry, to the setting on this episode. Um, but this is, this is really wonderful. And um, please tell our audience how they can find you. And, and uh, yeah.
0: Sure. So my website, jordangrayconsulting.com, is the main hub. And everything branches off of that. So if you just Google the name Jordan Gray, you'll find me.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jordan, for giving us your time today and for doing this amazing work that you do in the world. Really appreciate you.
0: Thank you for having me on, and ditto all those words right back to you, Sandy.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Jordan. And thanks, everybody, for listening today. And if you love our show, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes, and we hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day.